You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey there, it's Blasco, and this is a new level. Welcome to episode five. My guest today is Scott Sokol. Scott is the president of Pinnacle Entertainment, a boutique booking agency with clients such as Slayer, Mastodon, and Hailstorm, to just name a few. Pinnacle also represents various TV properties for Adult Swim, such as my good friend Jackson Galaxy of My Cat from Hell. Scott is a longtime friend and colleague, and I am super stoked he took the time out of his day to chat with me today. Scott, thank you, my friend. Uh, You're more than welcome. Happy to be here, and uh, let's let it rock. Yeah, I mean, so I was tracking my brain, trying to think how it is that we know each other. And obviously it's through Pinnacle. Whenever I first joined Rob Zombie's band in the, in the late nineties, Pinnacle uh, was the agent. And uh, somewhere along the lines, we, we met each other and I don't exactly remember where. As I say, I'm sure we probably met backstage at a Rob Zombie show. And then, you know, I think we've just known each other ever since. I, I think I've known you more as a manager than even when you're in the band we represented. It's interesting that sometimes now that people don't even know that I play in a band. Yeah, <laughs> you know? my, my favorite um, meeting with you was at uh, the Revolver Awards, where it was you and Rudy Sarzo, my two favorite bass players for Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> nice. Which is so coincidental that he is my neighbor, right? So yeah. whenever I... Whenever I, I I moved into the house, moved into the house, and and it was like, oh, oh there goes the neighborhood. Two Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> bass players on one block. Totally. Um. So anyway, let's back it up. How did you get started in the music business? When I was in college, I was actually doing two things. I was writing for the school newspaper, and I was booking bands into the uh, school pub, which actually had live music twice a week. So between those two things, I was able to amass a lot of free CDs and free tickets, which was really the main goal. And after a while, I just started going to the shows and talking to the musicians and talking to the people in the industry that were hooking me up with the uh, with the tickets and the CDs to do the reviews. And as I was getting ready to graduate, um, one of the artists that I had become friends with said to me, hey, we have, a, we have a publicist in New York. You should go work for her. And at the same time, one of the bands that I had been friendly with was Mother Love Bone. And their person in New York was also giving me some advice. And she said to me, you don't want to do what I do. She's like, this job sucks. <laughs> so she said, but what you, she's like, what do you like? And I said, I really like the live side of things. I like going to the shows and, you know, watching the bands, that whole thing. She's like, you probably want to be an agent. And I know an agent who's starting an agency. You should talk to him. And so for about six months, I worked with John Dittmar and Pinnacle Entertainment uh, part-time and the other part-time I was doing publicity and the publicist actually happened to be the publicist for the Ramones. So I was in seventh heaven with that. And then after about six months of just running myself ragged, trying to work two jobs, 
it became very apparent that the publicity side of things was as an independent publicist, you were basically working for anybody who would give you a paycheck. And I can remember, I want to say it might have been Ray Waddell, but I, I could be wrong, is that at Billboard said to me one day when one of these bands that was just terrible was I was having to get reviews for. And he said to me, you know what? If you could honestly tell me that you like this band, that there's something good about this band, then I'll write a story. I want you to honestly tell me something good about this band. And I couldn't. And that's what I knew. I think I was no longer destined to be a publicist. <laughs> and with Pinnacle, it's basically you could sign whatever you wanted, but it just better work because you're the only, the only, th the only way you could earn a living was to sign bands that other people like too. So you better have good taste and, you know, and then it would work. So we had two bands. It was um, that John had from a previous agency. It was uh, Sabotage and Badlands. Wow. And, and after six months, I, I said, well, this is the, this is the side I want to see. This is, this is the where I want to be the live side. It's sink or swim. The publicist had been in business for a long time. She had been Kiss's publicist for a while and everything else. And the agency was six months old. So, and I just winged it and was like, okay, this is it. And we had shortly thereafter, we signed two bands that had just gotten record deals. One was called the spin doctors and the other was called Pantera. And they mm. were both great live bands in their own genre. And we just basically had to keep our fingers crossed and slowly, but surely the spin doctors grew a following and the same thing with Pantera. And then both of those two bands started to take off. The Spin Doctors started having hits. They just they grew a following all over the country where they were doing a thousand people a night with nothing going on. And then we started a letter writing campaign to the record label, actually, for them, where we had um, different promoters and the local radio stations writing letters to Epic Records to say, hey, this band is fantastic can you service me with a single? And we had enough people writing those letters that they decided to service a single, which I believe was two princes at that point, and it started to become a hit. And then on the Pantera side of things, Pantera, we got them on tour. It was Suicidal Tendencies, Exodus, and Pantera. And I remember they played the Ritz in New York. Their Pantera was a brand new band at this point. We, we knew what was coming. The audience didn't know what was coming, but we knew what was coming. And I, I don't even remember if the record was out at that point, like their first record for uh, Atco at that point in time. But they hit the stage, and it took one song for the place to explode. And you could see the crowd reaction for Pantera versus the crowd reaction for Exodus and Suicidal, who people actually bought tickets to see. And they just killed them. And that was just that was the beginning. Those two bands just exploded after that. Now, how long have you been at uh, Pinnacle now? Uh, 28 years this month, actually. 28 years. So in 28 years, what would you consider your greatest achievement? You know what? I think they're still going. I mean, right now, you know, last time out, Robin, who's another one of her clients, was headlining and selling out sheds and arenas. And right now, Slayer, after representing them for 20 years is headlining and selling out sheds and arenas and the biggest tour they've ever done. So, I mean, I was basically at the beginning of one of the highlights of uh, my career just the other day, where it was just so exciting for a band that you've worked on for so long because we've had bands that have exploded and done whatever, you know, in headline arenas and sheds. And it's great. Don't get me wrong, but it hasn't been like a slow 20 year build 
Let me get your opinion on this. So I'm currently on the Ozzy Osbourne farewell tour and you're currently just starting the Slayer farewell tour, right? So you've got a lot of legends, you know, starting their retirement this year. What's, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's a, it's a hard genre of music to uh, really play. I mean, you've got, you know, with, with Ozzy, he's getting older. He's how old is he like around 70 or so Mm -hmm. in that neighborhood? And it's hard to sing those things and go out there night after night and play hard rock and roll where they expect you to run around and play heavy and do all those things. And I think Slayer, I mean, they're the epitome of heavy. They're the heaviest band there is. Yeah. Yeah. Are you confident as the Aussies and Slayers and Sabbaths of the world retire? Are you confident that we've got the next wave of headliners on deck ready to take that responsibility? Do am I confident that there are 40-year-olds that are ready to replace the 50-some-odd-year-olds? Yes. Am I confident that there are any teenagers right now getting ready to replace the Slayers and the Black Sabbaths of the world? No. I haven't seen much that would lead me to believe that this, you know, there's a a band out there of teenagers that has a teenage following, which is really where it all started, that's going to replace it. And it's kind of frightening. I think there is another, or concerning, I should say. It's, I think there's another generation behind the current one that's, that's there, but they're already in their late thirties and forties. I just don't see any teenagers or 20 year olds that are really at a, you know, at, at a certain level that are playing hard rock. That's going, you know, it's going to have mass appeal in the metal world. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of awesome. Your greatest achievement is still in front of you, right? Which I totally respect. So conversely, what about one misstep that you encountered along the way that maybe you learned something from? I would say that some of my, my biggest misstep might be just taking some things personal that somewhere, you know, that you get yourself so invested in an artist that when things, you know, whether they have a falling out with their manager or they have, a, you know, so they want to just clean house or a falling out with their label or whatever, and things change that you take it personally and that's the one thing that I probably regret early. I mean, I don't as much anymore. Now I know it's okay. It's business. If thing, if people aren't going to do the right thing, you just, you can't agonize over it. You just got to deal with it and go and, and just continue on. But I would say that's probably the one thing. It's like, okay, I can't take, you know, when, when I'm recommending we go left and the artist says, no way we're going right. And I know it's not going to work just because I've seen the story so many times. Not that I'm much smarter than anybody else. Just I've seen the story play out a hundred times and it always has the same ending. And you just get so bummed out. (laughs) And it's like, you know what? You just got to go, okay, they're just going to do it. There's nothing you can do to, you know, you've done everything you try to do, change everybody's mind. And you just got to go for it. What is your best piece of advice for someone who is working towards a career in the music business? To just try and get in as early as possible. I mean, it it seems to me that most people that have been successful and been around for a while have really started at the bottom, as they say in the mailroom, not that there's mailrooms anymore. In the mailroom, bottom rung, if you're coming out of high school or coming out of college, see if you can intern 
see if you could just, you know, just hammer people about, you know, if you want to work at Atlantic Records, if you want to work for RSE management, if you, you know, or any of these things, just hammer these people and just tell them you're really willing to do it. You're willing to work for free. You want to learn. And there it is. I don't think there's much more that, you know, you can do. And I'm not aware of too many people that haven't been, you know, that have been around a long time that haven't done that. Would you put some stock in that it's good to start early because maybe what you think is going to be your final destination ends up not being the case, meaning that I first started as a musician and that's what I wanted to do, right? And and I did that for a while. I still do that. But at that time, I never thought that I was going to end up where I ended up. And to get to management actually took me a couple of missteps. I wanted to maybe be a producer. I wanted to be an A&R guy. And then it's interesting here in your story where it was like you sort of straddled the line between agent and publicist for a while, right? So it's like you kind of you didn't know you had to get in there and kind of feel it out and and to get to the end game of where you know what it is that you were actually felt most comfortable in right right what is your unique strength i would like to think it's creativity i will sit there the thing that i enjoy the most is trying to put together something that people haven't seen before and it's putting together a package or a show or a group of artists that people would would go, okay, I've never seen that, or that is, you know, these days, artists are on the road a lot more frequently than when I started. So, you know, because of the declining record sales, the only way for artists to have income is to stay out on the road. And to try and put together the, the must-see bill each month, that's the most fun for me. I mean, a couple of examples of what we currently have going on is the... Um, Hailstorm is out there, and it's an all-female-fronted package. So it's Hailstorm in this moment and New Year's Day, and the thing is doing slam in business, and Hailstorm doesn't even drop an album until uh, the 1st of August, with, and a single doesn't come until around the 1st of June. But it's just something so unique that people are like, okay, it stands out, people are talking about it, and the, um, the average rock show has a female attendance of... 10%, 15% if you're lucky. And that show, that tour, and this is backed up by Ticketmaster statistics, is 50% women. And it's just like creating your own, you know, fan base. You're, or sorry, I shouldn't say creating your own fan base, creating your own niche and just expanding upon it. They have the rock fans, but now we're bringing in the females. And I love the fact that together with Indigo, we were able to do different things with them. For instance, not only are we doing this all-female package now, but we've done Evening With tours where the band plays two sets for two hours. They've gone out and supported Avenged Sevenfold, but they've also gone out and supported Eric Church for two tours. And they've done stuff with Lindsey Sterling. You know, so it's they've kind of straddled a whole bunch of different genres so they didn't get pigeonholed and just doing stuff like that. Or, you know, we work with Mastodon and Mastodon's out there. They go out in their headline and they've supported Slayer and they've supported Metallica and they've supported Tool, which are more obvious things. But right now they're out there on a co-bill with Primus. And then they're gonna take out Dinosaur Jr. And they just figured they just finished taking out um, taking out Eagles of Death Metal. So they're just trying to do different things. And I love the fact that the band's open to trying different things. You know, and we worked very hard with RSE to put together those packages 
and make those things fly to even the Slayer package this summer where we saw a definite, you know, hole in the true metal genre. So we put together what I, I felt and, and RSE and the band felt was the most metal package you could get. So it's Slayer and Lamb of God, Anthrax, Behemoth, Testament, and Napalm Death, you know, on, on some of it as well. And it's just, it doesn't get any more metal than that. Right. What are you most fired up about right now? Well, I mean, as far as the music stuff goes, it feels like, especially this year, that things are turning around, that there's certain artists that play guitar where things are starting to come back, where there was definitely the talk of rock is dead, rock is dead for the last couple of years. But we're seeing it on every rock tour that we're working on right now, dramatically increased numbers. And I think also part of it is there's a lot of, what I'm also excited about is that a lot of artists are willing to cross genres and not just pigeonhole themselves and therefore they can grow. I think things like Spotify, you know, Apple Music, all the streaming stuff is very exciting because it's so easy for people to find out about new music. I mean, I think one of the things that killed record sales was bands being signed where you, and you get excited, you hear a song on the radio or whatever, and you go out and buy the record and there's only one good song on it. You've got nine piles of crap. And I think people just got burned by that so many times that they just gave up on buying those albums or whatever. But I think now with streaming, they can check it out for themselves. I think it puts pressure on the artists and the labels to actually have a solid album's worth of material for people to get excited about. I think it's it's putting more power in the hands of the artists. Like if you have good music, you can put it up there and be just as, you know, you don't have to have that uh, that front rack at Best Buy and have your album on sale at $5.99. You can actually you can be up at Spotify and just have, you know, have it spread word of mouth that your album's there and people will find it. And the same thing with social media. If you've got a great live show, even if there's 20 people at the show, it doesn't take that long for people to find out. People will find out quickly if you've got a great live show and bands, you know, especially rock bands will, uh, will benefit from that. That's what I'm excited about. And being able to use social media to help promote the shows that we're working on and to help market them. I mean, we really, you know, we're living in an age where we don't have to, you know, just buy expensive spots on radio and TV to sell a show. You can buy stuff, you know, or you can get word of mouth going on your own Facebook page, on your own Instagram account, and just go from there. And it's not that expensive to do, and it's not that hard to get going. What is your one prediction for the future of the music business? I think right now, I think we're starting to see an oversaturation on the festival scene. And I think that's going to, that growth that we've been, that nonstop growth we've probably been seeing for the last 10 years, I think that's going to, you know, hit a peak, if not this year, then pretty soon. I think there's good, you know, and for all these different festivals and, and whatnot and different touring things to survive, I think there's just going to have to be more diversity. I think that the the rock genre is going to have to be accepting you know, as accepting as they are of, you know, of artists like Seether and Three Days Grace that are on the radio, those same people really have to accept things like Muse and the Foo Fighters and things that wouldn't necessarily be typical active rock bands. And I think there's, you know, you see a lot of bands breaking through that are different. You see 
bands like Hailstorm, like Greta Van Fleet, like Ghost, that just don't sound like any of the other bands out there that are really starting to break through. And it gives me a lot of hope that rock is about to make a return. And, you know, and, and hopefully cross genres that the fans of Muse could also be fans of Eric Church, that could be fans of Hailstorm, you know, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Because right now, how many stadium rock headliners are there that are under the age of 40? I can't think of any. Yeah. Um, okay, let's take a step back, right? Hypothetical. Scott Sokol and Pinnacle Entertainment are open to taking on young, developing heavy metal bands. What qualities do you look for in a new client in this case? Just quality and originality. It's got to sound different. They have to have multiple songs and they have to have, even if it's just in one town, they have to have a following. I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. A lot of bands back in the day, and that that day might have been five years ago, that people don't understand. If the band doesn't have a following in their own hometown, how are they going to get a following anywhere else? So, I mean, that would be the key is just to looking for bands with a little bit of a following, a little bit of a buzz, as it were. And some great music, great songs. When you guys were in that room and you were seeing Pantera play for the first time to 12 people stage diving from the stage to the floor, right? Like then it was something, it was a gut instinct. What you saw, you you and John were like, this is some of the most amazing shit I've ever seen, right? Like th- these guys, yeah. these guys are, these guys are going to kill people, right? So, but nowadays, right? How much stock do you put in something like what a band has in terms of followers, in terms of views? Because they can, would it be a necessity that they've maybe they've booked some shows on their own outside of their hometown? Maybe some some small little tours to where you guys can actually see some analytics. You can see some numbers that maybe they're worth a hundred people you know, 50 miles, a hundred miles outside of their, their hometown to put in that work. Is that beneficial? It's a hundred percent beneficial. And it, it, one, to get yourself noticed and two, to really get things, you know, just, just get the ball rolling because one thing we've definitely seen a lot and it's not as, and it's, it's more in the rock genre than almost any other is just because you have, you know, a million views on YouTube or a hundred views on YouTube, it, it almost doesn't correlate to anything. You know, same thing with, you know, with listens on Spotify, there's, there's no rock artist that has the Justin Bieber sort of listens on Spotify or plays on Spotify, but there's a lot of rock artists that can go out there and headline arenas. It's just, it's one of those things where it's tough. Like all the, you know, you're getting thrown analytics left, right, and center with social media, with, you know, the, uh, different streaming things, but it's really, you got to be able to call, you know, the promoter in Albuquerque and see how the band from Albuquerque is drawing. That's really the only way to tell. Will people actually plunk down, you know, $20 to go see a band? It it doesn't cost anything to watch a a video on YouTube or on the free level to uh, listen to a song on Spotify, but it does cost money to go out, spend your time to go see a show. And if you can get someone to plunk down 20 bucks to go see you, then you've got a real fan. You know, we have uh, a new artist called New Year's Day. It's out there with Hailstorm right now. They've, uh, this is their first sort of touring in that straight ahead rock genre. They're, you know, one thing we're looking for is we're getting feedback from the promoters that they're great. They sold out all their merchandise. 
you know, very quickly the tour. So people are responding. So we think we've got something here. They're working on an album and everything else. And we're just very excited that we can feel little things that you feel for a new band that's going to break. They, they're starting to uh, exhibit some of those signs. What would be a new level for you? A new level would still be doing this with the same artists, growing them to arena to arena size status and above 10 years from now to continue doing basically to continue doing what I'm doing. You know, I, each day I come in here, I write my own script. What do I want to work on? What do, what do I want to do? What's interesting to me? How can I booking the dates? It, it's, you know, it's, I've done it long enough. It's, it's, you know, it's something that you just, I don't know. It's, it's in my nature at this point to be able to do. It's challenging myself to, find that right partner for a tour go the slayer had uh the toyota corporation through scion built a, a slayer mobile that toured uh all the car shows and scion and toyota got behind and helped promote the tour that was fantastic you know doing stuff like that that's sort of outside of the box you know working really hard to get hailstorm on a Budweiser commercial to get their music exposed, which is still their biggest streamed and sa- single sales to date was that song that was on that commercial, even though they have since then had two records that went gold and won a Grammy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. To even just Mastodon and getting the extra push in some of the video stuff online from Pabst, who uh, sponsored two of their last tours and just doing things like that and just trying to bring in or do things a little bit differently, trying to make things a little bit more interesting, you know, kind of like what you had mentioned before or earlier in the podcast is working with adult women, putting on tour, everything from death clock to Mr. Pickles, who we're about to announce FL launch FLCL to going to and working with uh, animal planet and uh, Jackson galaxy and putting him out there. And he just did his first round of, uh, spoken word dates and it was it went down a storm and we want to do more of that just doing things I, I guess it's one of those things where i'd like to think we have a fairly diverse roster because i get bored easily i don't like having a bunch of bands that all sound exactly the same it, it's not as you know i like a challenge i guess that's really it to be continue to feel i guess uh to feel like still being creative and still being able to do that do the th- the job that I love doing and just building the bands, building the bands to the next level, building the artists to the next level. You know, it's interesting and refreshing to hear the passion in your voice um, of, of how much love that there is for the artist and the amount of work and creativity and innovation you put into packages and how involved you are in the artist's careers as a whole, right? Because I think that on the surface level, people probably think that being an agent is just spreadsheets, right? It's picking up the phone and hustling uh, a a promoter to take a show. You know what I mean? I think that people potentially view the role of the agent as a member of the team as potentially a a relatively boring, non-creative job. Right. And, and, and you're presenting something that is completely opposite and eye opening. And I just want to say that I find that refreshing. Oh, good. I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that you do. And like I said, we're just, 
Otherwise, I would get bored and then I wouldn't do this anymore <laughs> if I didn't have that ability to try and help in other ways if I can. And obviously, everything that I do is always done hand in hand with the artist, management, etc. But I'd like to think I, I always tell the artist this. I'll bring 10 ideas to the table. Nine of them will just be impossible to pull off. But that one, that one idea <laughs> that we can pull off hopefully helps. Okay, Scott. My very last question, this is a doozy. All right. Living or dead, who are the members of your ultimate supergroup? I'd have to say, and this is one thing that I never got to see, and this is the thing that I, I would love to see, it would be Randy Rhodes, Ozzy Osbourne, Tommy Aldridge, Rudy Sarso. <laughs> that that on, is on not the Diary of a Mad Man tour. Yeah, the castle. The castle. Yes. Um, well, Scott, thanks for uh, chatting with me today. Where can our listeners uh, find you on the social medias? Uh, I usually don't have much time to spend on on uh, on Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that. So I somehow sometimes pay attention to it, but I, I'll be honest with you, I don't pay attention. I, I don't really promote myself on those type of things. What's the uh, Pinnacle website? Uh, it's I believe it's PinnacleEntertainmentInc.com. There you go, kids. All right. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate you taking the time, my friend. You're welcome. A New Level Podcast is brought to you by Musicians Institute. Headphones provided by Monster Products. Editing and music by Blake Bunzel. Logo design by Mango Beard. I produced this show with my managemental co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mowry for Jabberjaw Media. Email me questions or comments at askblasco at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.